Turpentine is excited to announce our new show, The AI Daily Brief, hosted by Nathaniel Whittemore. The AI Daily Brief is a daily show that covers all things AI, from legislation to new technologies in the market, to the philosophical and ethical debates around generalized intelligence. If you're looking for an edge to stay up to date on everything AI, subscribe to The AI Daily Brief at the link in the description. So I think there should be a company whose sole revenue model is employing unimpressive children of rich parents. And the parents pay that company to give them titles. And because you need it so that so that when their you know busybody friends are checking LinkedIn to see, like, oh, is is so-and-so's son really a VP of brand strategy? They can see, oh, they actually have this big organization under them. If they ever stop paying, what happens is the child gets told, look, your parents bought you this job. <laughs> So this, it's kind of an extortion racket too. There was a, a big trend in 2013 of training people to become software developers. Oh, these coal miners are getting laid off. Like, what should we do? Like, like learn to code. The journalists are getting laid off. What should we do? Learn to code. I think what we need now is a boot camp to turn all these software developers who are going to have no job because of AI back into coal miners so that uh, countries in Europe who've turned off all of their nuclear reactors can uh, operate their coal mining plants. The circle of life. Yeah. When Google's laying people off, we can be like, yeah, bro, learn to mine. <laughs> This week on Upstream, we're trying something a little bit different. This is a new show format where I and some friends go over startup ideas, some serious, some humorous. Let us know in the comments if you like this, and we'll release more of it. Please note that this episode has some vulgar humor, so it won't be for everyone. Enjoy the conversation. Okay, ideas guy, let's, uh, let, let's start with you. Why don't you introduce your first, uh, your first idea? It could be the, the high status employment as a service or anyone you want to go with. Why don't you start us off? Give us your biggest, thickest idea. <laughs> <laughs> so there are, um, there are a lot of rich parents in America who have unimpressive children. And it may not be all their children. It's, it's just maybe sort of one of them is particularly unimpressive. And that, that child is often ashamed to them. <laughs> and you know, they go out to parties and they, you know, they have conversations and, it's it's just it's it's rough. So they they would love like how much would would that parent give to be able to say, oh yeah, my my son or daughter is the VP of brand strategy at some like <laughs> cool brand company. Maybe you haven't heard of it, but like the title says says a lot. So I think there should be a company whose sole revenue model is employing children, the sort of uh, unimpressive children of rich parents, and the parents pay that company to give them titles. And that, that company has to get really big because because ultimately it has to have lots of different divisions. So there can be lots of VPs of brand strategies and, <laughs> and you know, lots of just, you know, different divisions. It's very important. And Nick, Nick, you're really kicking this off with the re relatable component. I mean, <laughs> you know, Paul Graham always says you have to solve a problem that really comes from. A this is experience. my own problem. <laughs> my my, my two-year-old, it really you know, does brings nothing to the table. And so I hope to build this uh, for myself personally. 
And, and so, you know, the, and the part of the business model can be, okay, the, the more you pay, the bigger title that you get. And the bigger org, because you can employ, you can, you can talk about, you know, the pre- most premium package, you got this huge reporting structure. I got, I got 50 people globally in my org and you just have to, the, the premier, the more premium packages, they just pay those salaries. It's fine. Absolutely. You, you, and, and, and cause you need it so that, so that when they're, you know, busy body friends are checking LinkedIn to see like, oh, is, you know, is so-and-so's son really a VP of brand strategy? They can see, oh, they actually have this big organization under them. The whole, the whole company, there, there's, there's a, a group of people at the company who are actually paid by the company to build the brand of the company. The, in terms of product, there's very little going on, uh, and as there shouldn't be. Um, you don't want to create too much surface area for attack or for unhappy customers because they have a whole group of executives who truly do nothing. Um, <laughs> there are there are a lot of retreats and kind of trips to Tulum and 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 part of it is the, the question that I've always been thinking about is do you want that that um, that child to feel like they actually have a real job? Like is is part of it not just the appearance of a job, but actually giving them a job? That is easy enough where, where they can't really screw it up or they're getting great performance reviews, but they, they kind of are able to come home, have something to talk about. And then if it wasn't good enough, right, you can imagine that the parents, if they ever stop paying, what happens is the child gets told, look, your, your parents bought you this job. <laughs> so this, it's kind of an extortion racket too. Extremely good LTV, Eric. As the master of minting high-status communities, how would you bootstrap the status of this organization? Well, I, I just will say it's fascinating because you know I've been involved in an organization that overhired significantly. There are lots of organizations that are overhiring significantly. Everyone feels great about it. It's not a fun. FM. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a high-status thing to do. And the, the challenge is. There's usually not a business model with overhiring significantly. Until now. Exactly. This is what we were missing. And there's this great slogan by this company I really admire. It was called, the slogan was, they pretend to pay us and we pretend to work. And and that, (laughs) (laughs) it was the, it was the USSR. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. And um, yeah, so there's some historical, uh, um, examples we could we could point to of operations that have you know just gotten a lot of buzz and um... <laughs> so so Nick if you start with a totalitarian overthrow of a of a, of a large geographic landmass this is very much within your reach this what this what is, is the difference between this idea and like tenure or like a postdoc position at in the humanities whoa 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 <laughs> very little. <laughs> Very exciting idea here. There is something to the idea of people want to, you know, would be happy to pay for their kids to have high status. Something. So there, there is something here. There. Let's, uh, unless anything else about this idea, let's transition to Sean. Why don't you share one, one, uh, one of your ideas? So the, the, this is this is really just a, a modern, you know, improvement of of something that already exists. I, I'm in San Francisco, and I think in the past year, me and my now wife we got married this weekend. Wahoo for us. Uh, we, we've experienced 4,000. Thank you. Thank you. That was, uh, I was, I was asking for some congratulations, Justin. You're the only person that got the cue. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Let's talk prenup. <laughs> <laughs> so look, prenups are really difficult. 
(laughs) We've experienced a lot of property crime. We live in a nice neighborhood in San Francisco to the extent that 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 exists. And, you know, we've experienced two catalytic converter thefts, a hit and run, a car window break in. And just this morning, our our whole blocks, every mailbox was was cracked open and all the mail was stolen. And I was thinking there really should be some type of solution for this, maybe you would hope perhaps institutional, but I think we can also do it sort of bottoms up. I was thinking maybe we, we hire a guy, could be a gal, probably a guy to sit in a car, maybe some lights on top. And I think if the whole community really just, we only just need to do a couple blocks, my block, the other block, we just sort of all pool together, then maybe just maybe we can put a guy there to stop people from doing these types of things in the dead of night. I still feel like it would cost that much. So I'm, I'm thinking we should maybe create some structured protection service available to, to people that are living in, in high propensity crime areas. So I feel like you glossed over the fact that you said you were in a hit and run, which <laughs> seems like a wildly <laughs> intense crime to experience. And then you talked about your mailbox being stolen. <laughs> so can we like double click on you experiencing a hit and run and then having that be less important than your mail getting fucking stolen? You know, there's uh, there, there's recency bias and the mail was this morning and the hit and run was three weeks ago. So it's it's way out of my mind at this point. Dude, you, you, you don't know what was in his mailbox. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> The uh, the hit and run was the hit and run was basic. Basically, our car was parked there, and then it was hit and screwed up, and who knows how it didn't make any Got sense. It. Actually, mangled. Look, I'm I'm gonna leave this podcast if this becomes a San Francisco hating podcast. We cannot have another one of these. We can't give these these avid listeners more red meat that they're craving no, Nick, I'm, I'm a san Fran- i'm actually a san francisco optimist the way that i see it is we can just accept that there's institutions that won't exist uh provided by the government and so therefore we should produce privatized solutions to them and i feel like look i am four thousand dollars a year for one household there's at least 40 households on my block that's like a pretty good uh that's a full salary plus some one of the things i admire about sean is that Usually what happens when when you walk through San Francisco and you see someone doing like pooping on the street or doing uh, drugs, you know, wherever is people just walk past them and are like, okay, like, let let me not look at this. And Sean is like, hey, that's gross. (laughs) And and like the person has not been talked to by anyone for like a year. So they're just like just bamboozled doing whatever they've been doing. And and I, I admire Sean's courage to uh, spark these people's interest. Well, it seems to be working also. Like hasn't, yeah, hasn't like property crime, poops, all all trending down to the right since Sean started chiding them. Well, his, his, his catalytic converters are getting stolen. So I, 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 I think he's developing a reputation. Nick, it's during my off shift. I'm sleeping when that's happening. <laughs> Justin, why don't we transition to, to you? Why don't you share one of your ideas? So an idea that I just had while uh, making a prenup joke was I feel like everyone in a prenup, there's the two people in the prenups for now, are always sort of like, it's one of the weird times in your relationship that you're sort of on looking out for yourself. Like you've sort of made this commitment and you're like, okay, we're getting married. We're like thinking about kids. We're doing the house thing together. Like everything is, is a we. And then when you're negotiating a prenup, it's like back to I. And then it's this weird like, well, if you don't work for 22 years and then we get divorced, like how much should you get? And all this sort of stuff. 
And so basically, I think that there should be there should be a company that you could just credibly pay that like two people answer surveys, spits out here's what a prenup would look like. And then both of you pay and there's a 50% chance that one prenup goes like it goes with Sean's prenup and there's a 50% chance that it goes with the other person's prenup and it's fully legally binding. You just hit the buy button and it like randomly chooses one of the two options, which would pull both of you towards the center in terms of like what you're negotiating for from a prenup standpoint. Oh, it's like it's like I I cut you choose with with dividing a pie type of thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. I think it'd be kind of a kind of an interesting way to do it. Justin, did you say we're going to just talk about two two parties for now, as if polygamy uh, is on the on the horizon? <laughs> like it's, they're called polycools, dude. I don't know if you've read about them. <laughs> that's a that's a great upsell. Polycule prenups, yep. <laughs> Yeah, extraordinarily more complex. It's sort of like the three body problem, but applied to legal contracts. The, the riches the are in the niches, as they say. Polycule prenups are the niches, but are they growing? Yes. The polyamory movement should be called the three body solution. <laughs> Nick, why don't we go back to uh, one of your ideas? You've got a few here. Eric's not impressed with prenup. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's more feature. <laughs> <laughs> Vitamin, not a painkiller. Um, as as the relatable one on the podcast, I I like ideas that are you know that like the every man can understand, like restaurants and food. And so, as an MBA, one of the things that you you learn is is you take is, is most most. Um, if you've done like an operations class, the one of the big cases that you cover is Benihana. And Benihana is very impressive because they turn tables really fast because they have a hibachi chef who's like doing their thing, but it's very well timed so they can like turn a table in an hour. And, and so it's just sort of a, it's the case study. And I am a big fan of brunch. And I think that the combination of Benihana and brunch, aka Brunchihana, is just so obviously good that it's crazy that no one's thought of it. Because think of the most operationally efficient model with the cheapest inputs, which is like all the eggs and bread and stuff like that. And on a hibachi grill, you can literally make any brunch item that you can imagine. You can do bottomless mimosas. You could have an after party that you go to upstairs once your table has turned. What's, what's in the after party? How does, how does, how does this work? Well, so, so here's the thing. So, so what I heard, and I have not looked it up because it was too good to look up and I just want to believe it, is that Steve Aoki is part of the Benihana fortune. And you could imagine the way that we are, we can, you know, leverage the Benihana name because I think Brunchihana is too good of a name to pass up is you get Steve Aoki involved. He's a big investor He's DJing the after party. And Steve just hasn't gone to sleep yet. That's That tends to be because, you know, he rolled all the way straight from the party to the after, after, after party, which is brunchy hot. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, you know, why does brunch just have to have to happen during brunch hours? It can happen anytime. People love brunch. Brunch is a meal that is fun and you're with your friends and just it would be it's what the world needs. I was going to say I like that idea and then talk about my idea. But I'm not sure if I like that idea. I think it's an interesting idea. 
but it is inspiration uh, for another idea I had. Um, <laughs> Sam, what's going Eric on here? <laughs> hey, we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors. If you don't already subscribe to Turpentine's industry-leading newsletters, like our new daily AI newsletter, Emergent Behavior, or Media Empires, you should. But that's not what I'm here to tell you about. The platform we use to power these newsletters is called Beehive, and it's excellent. First of all, it was started by the same early team who helped build Morning Brew into a $75 million newsletter business. And they built Beehive to offer that same powerful functionality to anyone sending emails. From essayists to business owners, the platform is beautiful, their text editor is intuitive, and they help you scale your audience with custom growth features. Beehive has powerful tools to help you monetize your content. You can easily launch paid subscriptions or pursue an advertising model. The Beehive platform will even connect you to premium brands to sponsor your newsletter. Not only do we use them, but thousands of the top newsletters in the world also use them, like Milk Road, Blockworks, The Lindy Newsletter, and so many more. Beehive's founder hooked up upstream listeners with a sweet deal. Get 20% off for three months with code UPSTREAM. Visit beehive.com, that's B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com, to get started. You, you, you guys know Daybreaker? It's like party in the morning? Of course. So I, I like that format, which is you know, taking things that people enjoy and saying, hey, could they be a different time or different format or things like that? So Daybreaker, you know, it's taking a party, it's putting in dance party, putting in the morning. People love it. You do it before work, get too excited, et cetera. You don't drink, so you help. And so I'm curious... For something at night, <clears throat> I'm calling it Fit Club. It's basically like a Barry's boot camp or so, some workout fitness class, but in the evening that then afterwards people go shower and then there's like food <laughs> and it's like a party. It's like workout plus plus party. But plus you don't... shower food. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> we only serve hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think, I mean, if you could go out at night and get healthier and also meet people and potentially, you know, find someone to spend your life with in the shower <laughs> with a friend, <laughs> so it's at a middle school. <laughs> okay. Don't over rotate on the shower. The, sh- the shower is, ju- is just it's the uh, it's the wedge. It's, incur- it's, it's encouraged. It's encouraged. Yeah, just, but then afterwards, it's just you know everyone's in a good mood. People are excited to meet each other. You're getting fit, and now you want to get to know each other, and that's social activity in the evening. People seem hungry. Think? Maybe they would want to come to Brunchihana, and they could enjoy <laughs> the synergies of brunch yeah. and fitness. Yeah, I would you I like think this our is idea? An incredible idea, <laughs> really. Uh, I, I do. I, so I, I have been um, like talking about this idea of like wellness as entertainment, but basically I feel like I'm starting to see a bunch of companies that are in the wellness space be, go beyond just like I'm hitting a soul cycle class only to get stronger, fitter, lose weight, whatever. But they're actually like, it's becoming like part of their identity and it's becoming like an entertainment thing, like thing like, oh, I'm bored. I may as well like go work out at Berries or do soul cycle or whatever. And I think that doing a nighttime activity that like got you fitter, got you like naturally high on your own endorphins or whatever. And that is like way more likely to be your people. If you're a fitness person, uh, if you want to like meet other people that are into this stuff would be amazing. Like, like if you're a single, you know, fitness obsessed person, 
you're unlikely to meet a potential partner or mate or something if you just go to a ball, you know, Patty's Irish pub and like say no to the Guinness or something. It's like, but if you do something like this, you're way more likely to meet your type of person there. Uh, so I think it's a really cool idea. And actually, there's a couple companies, mostly in like the the like new bathhouse space, to the extent that that's a space, uh, that are starting to like open up things like late night sessions. And so you can like go do a sauna cold plunge, uh, breath work, hang in the bathhouse thing on like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing, uh, which I think is kind of sweet. Like I, I would totally do that. I think the coolest thing about running this type of business, it would just be that it would be fun to own the types of spaces that you would do this. So Justin, Justin and I went to this sauna or this like spa in France last summer. And it was just this incredibly beautiful space on this incredible land. It was like this old building and this beautiful place. And I looked up the, the company. It was called QC Terme. And it was two brothers that own like 20 of these things or something in that, that order. And they're just, you know, they own like 20 beautiful pieces of real estate that the world's wealthy fit people come to and have the best time of their lives at. And I'm like, what an incredible business to just own. Right. It's not venture scalable. It's not going to be worth billions, but like so cool. Just so cool. What a, what a great lifestyle. And like how, I mean, Sean, you saw it. Like, wouldn't you do that at 10 or 11 p.m. on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever? Especially you don't drink. Like, how sweet. I don't drink. I like going out. I like working out. I sometimes like working out and then going out. So, Eric, I'm, I'm into, I already, you know, it's Friday night. You got to get a pre going out pump in. So, you know, why not just make that part of the experience? <laughs> Exactly. I'm into it. Like a spa for rich people is incredible to own, but like the the process when you're sort of still the GM, because like the type of things that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, like range from really upset rich people and just grossness. Like I, I knew somebody, I, I live with somebody who ran like, like a, a, an office cleaning company and like the things that he had to deal with on kind of like a, like a regular basis, like as the sort of owner proprietor of this company, were just like, you, you just, you amass some good stories, I guess. And so I, spa feels, spa feels fun to own once it's at scale and you can hire your GM. One of my first jobs was a janitor at LA Fitness. And my, literally my first day, uh, I walk in to clean the men's locker room and someone had <laughs> waffle stomped a turd into the shower drain. If you know what waffle stomping is, I don't know they pooped on the shower drain and then shoved it into the drain. And so I had to get a little fucking pick and like pick dry shit out of the grate of the shower drain for my first day. That was literally within the first 60 minutes of my job at this fitness place. So I agree with you, Nick. There are certain downsides. Did you, did you know the term waffle stomp? before like was it like, no. like oh like I, I fucking waffle stop this gym like <laughs> i did not i found out after doing this horrible job uh it took me all of 60 minutes to find out what it was justin <laughs> why did you choose to poop that way <laughs> <laughs> the brunch hunter thing is interesting i mean do you remember the combination taco bell pizza hut I think it was Taco Bell KFC, wasn't it? KFC. It was KFC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Taco it was Bell KFC. Okay. No, 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 no. It's it's Eric a, just drove by there's... that in his limo as a child growing up. <laughs> My family actually walked inside and had to order from there. <laughs> I was VP of strategy. <laughs> <laughs> go go for it, Nick. 
<laughs> I, I, I was just, just going to clarify that that it was it was KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut were all <laughs> all linked together. There's a whole song that goes, "I'm at the Pizza Hut, I'm at the Taco Bell, I'm at the combination Pizza Hut." So I, I'm yeah, I'm certain. Wow, yeah. What artist was that? That's beautiful. It's called Das Racist. <laughs> it, amazing artist. <laughs> Notable. What podcast have I stumbled into? <laughs> that was that was his hit single. <laughs> He's now in the ads business, I believe. But uh, at the time, he was yeah, big time rapper. Um, the, the greatest minds of our generation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Slinging ads. <laughs> exactly, Sean. Why don't we transition to uh, to one of your other ideas you haven't shared yet? This is a, this is a more uh, very practical idea, and and I specifically would like the the audience to tell me uh, how to do it. What's interesting? I don't. I don't actually know much about doing these things in practice, but it's very clear that professional services are going to become disrupted. It, it's happening for the first time. Professional services were sort of a uh, domain where tech was not very valuable because the work was generally a la carte. It was very consulting driven. Dot dot dot. And the rise of LLMs is changing that completely. We saw today that Price Waterhouse Cooper has announced a $1 billion investment in generative AI across their firm. That to me is, is very interesting and very surprising. And I'm, I'm curious just how the structure of a deal like that goes down. You know, Price Waterhouse Coopers is really like a, a collection of firms. They're not one corporation, it's like a unified brand. It's a complex thing. And, and I wonder how these sort of centralized services get deployed into a company like that and how the economics get shared. But I think that them putting that type of money into the thing makes it very clear that the whole category of professional services is now disruptable. Um, it's on the table and nobody else is, is pursuing it just yet. You see some of the companies doing it in, in law. But I think a lot of the, the, the alpha here is going to be just in the, the existing books of business. Getting transitions, you know, sort of stealing a book of business is much harder because you, you're li- losing a lot of context. So I think that it's possible to do a, a, like a roll-up of these types of businesses combine. The, the best of generative technology as sort of the, the thing that the, that the big platforms aren't going to do, right? OpenAI is not going to uh, do, do law because actually practicing law requires a bunch of stuff. So there's an opportunity to, to be their best customer in that vertical. And I think that every professional services vertical has that opportunity. And yeah, I'd love for somebody to explain to me how the the math there works, but it feels to me like there's a there's a very clear opportunity there. Sean, I think that was too good of an idea. Just going, you had a I'm literally thinking that we, we just we just we just we just went, went from from waffle stomping to this. <laughs> just... But there 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 really is one one point seven trillion dollars in market cap of professional services businesses. So the the opportunity is is actually very large. And, and none of those companies are GPT enabled. So sprinkle on some AI uh, pixie dust and, and maybe magic happens. How how far like when a when a company like that says they're going to invest a billion dollars in generative AI, like what does that actually look like in terms of what they're allocating dollars to? Because I'm trying to think about that from like an opportunity standpoint. You know, if you're so I'm like a angel investor venture partner at a at a VC fund and which basically means I'm part time. Um, but uh, but basically like there's a there's a big open question around like what do you actually invest in? with all this AI stuff because it's like moving so quickly and it's hyper unclear where you actually can put money in and like get some result out that open AI isn't like 
already working on or Anthropic or whoever that they're not already working on and like about to release in a couple of weeks. So did, did you like see or have any details around what, like how they will actually spend that money? Somebody, somebody please DM us on Twitter and tell us the secrets of the capital allocation there. I assume that they're, they're investing largely internal salaries to, and, you know, actually put use cases together here. But, uh, if they're buying external vendors, you know, let us know what they're looking for and, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the good ideas that they need to, to exist on the pod, um, and sort of help accelerate their product development. I bet they're going to pay McKinsey a lot of money to help them give them advice on how they can incorporate AI into their workflows more effectively. Probably right. Pretty Lindy. Yeah. Yeah. These, these, these consulting firms are going to just like clean up over the next few years. It'll, it may be their like last gas, but like the pivot of every company to AI and needing some consultants to come in and tell you what to do is it, it that's going to be huge. I, I feel very, bullish on the very, very short term of of these big management consulting firms. I mean, a lot of these management consulting firms have been over the last 10 years buying and building software products internally. And some of them are increasingly pretty big, right? Justin, your your wife worked on some things in that area, right? Yeah, exactly. She was doing, she was at Deloitte doing like internal uh, software freelancing, software tools, freelancing marketplaces, like all that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and they're they're substantial, but there's also like, and maybe this is the wrong way to think about it, but if I'm thinking about um, these big consulting firms, like none of them have spun out a product that like kind of lived on its own as a software product. And I wonder if like how much of these big consulting firms investing money in in like internal software tooling actually made its way to the end user in some way or like impacted the bottom line. I don't know. I'd be kind of curious. And I kind of wonder the same with like AI stuff. I mean, I guess, do you hire fewer junior consultants? Do you like increase the billing rate? And like, I, I'm just so curious, like how this stuff actually works its way through the system. But I do agree that like consulting is probably a really good place that you can get leverage even from like what GPT can already do uh, from a research writing and other standpoint. I do feel like that's why this makes a, a good opportunity from the outside, because these corporations, these big ones, these firms are so complex from an economic sharing standpoint, right? Like PricewaterhouseCoopers, for example, has like 350,000 employees and like hundreds of, of corporate entities and partners with interlocking voting rights. And there's all this stuff that they have to nav- navigate organizationally to make use of these things. If you went out and built it from scratch, you start with a cleaner legal and operating structure that allows you to deploy the tech in really rapidly. And you're able to also adapt your billing model, right? When your whole business, you know, these white shoe law firms, for example, their whole business lives and dies by billable hours. If you're in the billable hours business and there's some tool that reduces billable hours, you don't want that thing, right? So that's amenable to disruption from the exterior because inside there's just very few firms that are going to successfully navigate that transition. One of the things I I keep wondering is, when we're going to see more, whether it's independent consultants or consulting shops that build themselves as AI enabled and, and where you can feel certain that you're getting the, the appropriate price of an AI enabled talented professional. And what I mean by that is, you know, Sean and I are working on, on uh, a new version of our website and we would love to have a copywriter that was AI enabled, right? And, and someone who, who, who we could, uh, but like right now we're working with GPT-4 and there's a big delta between, you know, GPT-4 for free and 
an expensive copywriter, but it feels like there would be a big appetite for a copywriter with good judgment who can you know, use the tools very, very well. So there, there's a company called Jasper. There's also like Copy AI, some of these that are kind of doing this that are like built on top of OpenAI, like on top of GPT that are copywriting tools that are pretty good. Yeah, I just, I, I wonder if like the, something I've been wondering is for the last like 15 to 20 years, the model in software has sort of been like build everything self-service because humans are very expensive. And so you have all of these like, support onboarding, like you have a bunch of this like cruft that is geared towards the better business model, like everyone is self-service. And I kind of wonder if the model will soon shift to like much more personalized concierge onboarding to use a piece of software or a tool. But a lot of that is like provided by some combination of like AI chatbots plus some human overlooking this. Like more talent networks embedded in products is that is that sort of the direction that you're thinking? Like, how cool would it be if on Jasper you could tap in an expert copywriter who who's going to use Jasper and really like sort of push it to that next level without having to start from scratch? Yeah, or or even just like think about um, just think about like the deltas that people will pay between just to like have a new tool implemented for them. Like Salesforce consultants get paid like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. There's entire firms that just implement Salesforce for you. And I'm not saying that like that is a great thing, but it's clearly if you can afford it and if it's important enough, like you kind of want the concierge onboarding thing. Like you, Superhuman got so much press and like great user engagement for their concierge like one-on-one onboarding. I just wonder if that becomes table stakes and you just get way more, way more like personalized, but using AI to get leverage on the personalized onboarding thing and like all of the best in class stuff around onboarding and you know all of these all of these different things that. Silicon Valley's gotten really good out over the last decade, kind of become like not as useful. I mean, this is actually very relevant to just the, the roll-up of professional services that I that I was just talking about. And a big, for example, Deloitte, they are the preferred integrator for, I believe, both SAP and Oracle or, or the, for, for some of the two big ERPs. And the that part of their practice alone, just being a preferred integrator for those is a multi-billion dollar a year revenue line for them. And, you know, they're doing a little bit of technical integration, but they're also doing the organizational deployment, right? They're going in there and training up every different manager on how to input their, you know, uh, receipts into this, you know, expense management software or whatever else. And it's a big complex thing. And I think you're right that like you do still need a combination of humans because if you're going to do an in-person training, people like to listen to people. They don't want to listen to a recording. There's a reason why in-person training still exists in a world where there's lots and lots and lots of content on YouTube. But there's also still a lot of it that you can make way more personalized, like the worksheets that go after the the training or whatever can all be um, more AI-enabled. That'd be pretty interesting. Justin, why, why don't we transition to, to one of your ideas? Basically, I have more of a... I won't do a plug, so I'll just speak in generalities, but have like a consumer health background. Um, and so the something that I've been like just aware of quite a lot is the trend that is like hugely growing around people struggling to like get pregnant and have kids. And I think that if you look at a lot of studies, uh, it's actually like the food that you eat, uh, your obesity, levels of inflammation, like all these sorts of things have huge, your chemical load and exposure uh, have huge, huge impacts on the likelihood, the like how likely you are to get pregnant, both on the male and female side. This is not just like a, a female only thing. 
And you have people spending like, if you go through IVF, it is months of work, like daily injections into your womb, basically as a female. Uh, the cost of IVF can range from anywhere to like 10 to 30 grand. It's often like not very well financed. It's often not covered by insurance or companies unless you work at like a fancy tech company. And when people talk about when, when t- people talk about like, oh, just freeze your eggs, it'll be fine. Uh, if you ever look at data, which like no one talks about, which I think is basically criminal, criminal, is if you look at data, like most pregnancies, well north of 50%, around like 60 to 70% of women that go through the egg freezing and, and like uh, implantation process don't actually result in a baby. And so there's, I think that there's this like huge problem where you have a lot of people that want to have a child are spending a lot of money, are going through a ton of pain to do this, and 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 they're not able to. Uh, I basically think that a huge number of people that that can't get pregnant, partially because or largely due to lifestyle factors. And so I think there's a really interesting opportunity, basically, to build a natural health protocol that combines uh, some drugs like progesterone and others, uh, along with a bunch of lifestyle modifications to eat a low inflammation diet to eat, um, you know, healthy, clean, check on your toxin load, do a bunch of these things and massively increase your odds of conceiving and carrying a baby to term, you know, again, on both like the male and the female side. Uh, And you've kind of seen this in like, in in some other spheres, Calibrate is this weight loss company that's doing, I think over a hundred million dollars a year. They're combining like lifestyle interventions with pharmaceutical interventions that drive much better outcomes. Um, and I think that there's a big company to be, be built in the fertility space doing the same thing. What does Calibrate do? Is that weight loss? Yeah, it's like a WeGoVe Ozempic thing. So you get like the weight loss injections, you do it right now. Um, Ozempic, WeGoVe, whatever, uh, these like GLP-1 agonists, you take them, I believe it's every week for the rest of your life to lose weight. That is obviously brutal. It comes at like at least a $15,000 a year sort of price tag. It's crazy. And so what Calibrate is doing is basically saying, hey, insurers, rather than like take on the burden of paying 15K per year indefinitely for this person, pay it, pay us for one year. We provide this GLP-1 agonist prescription. We then also have a coach, lifestyle modifications, all these sorts of lifestyle things so that at the end of the period, they can roll off the drugs, the GLP-1 agonists and stick with the Calibrate program that is purely lifestyle moderation or modification. And basically the insurer is like, okay, I pay Calibrate 300 bucks a month or 100, but whatever it is, uh, rather than, you know, rather than uh, $15,000 a year, uh, just to keep them on the drugs indefinitely. Justin, what do you, what do you think in the set of normal things you'd recommend for someone to be healthy, make the biggest difference for fertility, both for men and for women, which I imagine are maybe a little bit separate. I think it's generally like obesity and inflammation are probably like the two biggest things that you can that you can focus on. Yeah, I, th- I think those are by far the two things that if you want to try and get pregnant, probably moving markers of inflammation and become and like losing weight if you're obese uh, or overweight will do more than almost anything to increase your odds of conceiving properly, minus unless you had like some crazy uh, PFAS or like other chemical exposure that is going to make it really hard for you to conceive. I think we got the makings of, of a sick super business here, you know, combining with the, the last time we talked, we, we put together a great office that has a combined gym workout <laughs> space. We get 
you know, Steve Aoki to DJ it. We keep the party going until brunch. <laughs> and like, if you're looking to conceive, the, the coach is right there. I think we, we, and, we, and we can put our super shower with full hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> waffle stomping hot dogs just all day. No, no, no. Only rule. If you get caught waffle stomping one time, you're out. That's it. I'll clean the first one, but don't do it again. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking that the Fit Club, you know, what is that space going to do during the day? Um, and maybe, like, would people want a workspace where they can also work out of? We haven't seen that, right? I think if you had a, like, combo gym with good classes, like, for, for example, today, every day, actually, every day that I'm at work, I'm like, I want to go to the gym right now. And I actually have to physically go to the gym. I mean, this was like Google put so many gyms on their campuses because people want to work out in the middle of the day. This, this all just come back to, like, WeWork had it right. And they had they had WeWork, which is sick. Every time I go to WeWork, I'm happy. It's beautiful. It's great. It costs like 29 bucks a day to be at WeWork. It, and it's an amazing space. They had WeGrow. They had WeGrow. WeGrow was a preschool that you could just put your kids at. So you could have your, your workspace. You could have your... It wasn't a daycare, but like, I think we should bring back co-working spaces with daycare in them so that like your life's just taken care of throw the gym in there throw all sorts of stuff in there throw throw brunchy han in there not making a plug just <laughs> staying while we're there why not i think we work at it right let's re-anoint adam <laughs> all in on flow we live you even want you know you wanted to have you just live above it anyways though i think a little separation's nice you know maybe you live on this side of town you you go to your you know, your lifestyle super building uh, on the other side of town. That sounds nice. We bus, we live, we work, <laughs> I think, you know. I think the real problem is that we Adam was charging licensing fees that were just way too hard to support the core WeWork business model, you know. So if, if you just get a founder that doesn't charge licensing fees to use the name of his company, probably <laughs> that's a much more attractive asset to invest in. I think that was overstated. I'm, I'm not sure of the specifics, but... Um... <laughs> I, I just want to present the other side. Got to hear both sides. <laughs> Adam's an apologist over here. <laughs> Eric's wearing his free Harvey Weinstein t-shirt as well. I'm a fan of, of underdogs. Uh, <laughs> like Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> Bill, Bill Cosby. I'm just kidding. I'll take that. Do, do you have a, do, are you wearing a free Epstein shirt? Eric. <laughs> Epstein didn't kill himself. I'll just leave it at that. Nick, why don't you share any of your other ideas? There was a, a big trend in 2013 of training uh, people to become software developers. And and they had things like dev boot camp and things like that. And, and, and there was a whole thing where like, oh, these coal miners are getting laid off. Like, what should we do? Like, like learn to code. The journalists are getting laid off. What should we do? Learn to code. I think what we need now is a boot camp to turn all these software developers who are going to have no job because of AI back into coal miners so that uh, <laughs> countries in Europe who've turned off all of their nuclear reactors can uh, operate their coal mining plants with, with some competent miners because we don't have enough of them. <laughs> 
the circle of life. Yeah. Circle the classic life. Silicon Valley to West Virginia pipeline. It's, a, it's an important and underutilized process. Yeah. And when, and, and when, you know, when Google's laying people off, we can be like, yo, bro, learn to mine. <laughs> It'll be great. Sean, it's the opposite of the original vision for placement, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of taking, you know, people from, from West Virginia and moving them to Austin, Texas, removing them from, you know, San Francisco to, to West Virginia, it'll be great. It's like you'll, you'll get a 70% reduction in your cost of living adjusted wages, um, but at least you'll have a job. <laughs> Downskilling. It's going to be safe. <laughs> More legitimately, though, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for people in tech to, to explore these other industries. The, the government is pushing a lot of money into reindustrializing America. There, there's really cool companies that are working on rebuilding the American industrial base and We'd be well suited to have engineers work on on things that touch the physical world. It's uh, it's like a, a big core competency that we have somewhat let slip over the past few decades. So maybe maybe like a new food uh, delivery app or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, need, we, need, we need a lot more of those. I, I think McDonald's <laughs> delivery is just too slow. Let's uh, <laughs> let's get that there even faster. <laughs> is um is is there any idea that's on the tip of your mind? Meaning before I wrap the show is. Did someone want to express one more idea? Otherwise, we can leave it for next time. But Eric, uh, Quora for people, tell us about about this. Uh... Sure. So it's basically a search engine around expertise. Like, who is the best? You know, on Twitter, I see it all the time. And on Facebook, like, who's the best investor in climate? I'm raising around. Who should I talk to? Who's the best uh, doctor uh, in Miami? Who's the best accountant for early stage startups? Who can I'm, best clean this waffle stomp drain from my gym? <laughs> exactly. Justin can. I'm, just, exactly. I'm going to New York City tomorrow. Who should I meet? Right. Um, and there are these questions all over Twitter and Facebook, and they actually have pretty good engagement. And so I was thinking, so they have good engagement, but there's no state that's stored. And so I was thinking you could have a social network just for these kinds of questions. And you could scrape all the you know the ones that are on Twitter. So you could actually bootstrap with like a pretty big data. So like I found dozens of these with, with, you know, dozens of replies. And each time someone submits a reply, it would be on someone's profile. So uh, you've been sort of, you know, it's like an endorsement, basically, you know, I tried to do cosign a few years ago, but there was no trigger, there's no reason to cosign someone really. And if it's a response to a QA, and a um, you could sort of build out like, you know, definitive profiles where people have been endorsed, you know, 10s of times for, um, you know, for a specific thing. And, and, and LinkedIn, isn't really built for that, right? Um, and so that's the idea. In, in general, um, with AI, you know, I'm excited to revisit a lot of these, you know, social networks, professional networks that people thought were just too hard to recreate the data set. But now, thanks to generative AI, may, maybe you, you can recreate the, you know, the data set in a in an easier way. I would wonder around distribution. In the past, the way that the you know the first sort of web web two wave. The Web2 really rode the wave of, of SEO as your distribution channel. So you went out and you did the hard work of gathering on the ground data and generating you know, a million landing pages, every permutation for every query. And if you had good data, then people didn't bounce and, and you accrued all the traffic. But that model seems to be going away, both largely the first and foremost, because Google itself is vertically integrating all of the high value queries. So the only things that you can still rank for are low value queries. And two, because it feels like, like sort of as you mentioned, the, the AIs are, are going to just answer those questions 
directly. So I'd be curious if you built up this data asset, maybe you maybe you'd have to distribute it through chat as like a chat GPT plugin or, or something like that to, to keep it fresh and actually get users. I think it's the perfect idea. No feedback. <laughs> Drop everything, Eric. Do it now. <laughs> no, good, good feedback. Um, okay, let, let's let's wrap. As kind of an overview, which of the ideas have you heard today? One, are you most likely to invest in? And two, do you just want to exist and you can't pick your own idea? I really want the the software dev to coal miner pipeline to exist. I, I don't see how this isn't already a thing in the world and uh, we'd, we'd do better with more of that. I, I actually really like and not even facetiously the uh, nighttime, what did you call it? Fit night? Something? Fit club. Fit club. Fit club. Yeah, yeah. Fit club. I think it's a great idea. And I would totally do that if I were... It, it, if there was a compelling entrepreneur listening to this and we're like, hey, I just need a little bit of money to get off the ground and you believed in their plan, would you support them if, if they gave you some good equity for it? Sure. Yeah. Why not? I mean, that's I a mean, I guess a, yeah, I support. That's a binding, <laughs> that's a binding commitment. So <laughs> I, I would too. Depends how good the hot dogs are. <laughs> yeah, I would spin out just the hot dogs in the shower part and just, I think... I think that's a that's a fun idea. <laughs> Very private equity baron of you. <laughs> Strip it for parts. <laughs> that's the MBA and him talking. Uh, Strip it for parts is going to be the <laughs> the cold open uh, of this uh, of this show. <laughs> uh, Sean, Justin, Nick, uh, thank you for coming on. This was a banger. And until next time, thank you all. It was fun. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Upstream with Eric Tornberg is a show from Turpentine, the podcast network behind Moment of Zen and Cognitive Revolution. If you like the episode, please leave a review in the Apple Store. Hey everyone, Eric here. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from our AI and investing cluster of podcasts to shows that drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, investors, and influencers, like Econ 102 with Noah Smith. We're launching new shows every week, and we're looking for industry-leading sponsors. If you think that might be you and your company, email me at erikaterpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at terpentine.co, and let's partner together.